0: hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church and we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word.
1: It's good to see familiar faces. First service, I hardly knew anyone. Here, I got my cheering section, so. (laughs) It is good to see all of you. Before I begin my message, there are two things I wanna share. First is, uh, don't we have a great praise team? Give them a hand. We've been to a lot of churches, a lot of places, and I'll tell you what, I appreciate this praise team so much, whoever's up here, because it's more than just great talent, which they have, but they got a heart for Jesus, and it just comes out of them. And I'm just so thrilled about it, and I wanna make sure they know how much I appreciate them. But before I begin today, I've had something quite heavy on my heart for a long time, and with the way the world situation has gone, it's become heavier and heavier on my heart as every day goes by. <clears throat> I believe that uh, we are one or two things. We're either living in the last times, which I think we probably are. Or God is about to pour out one of the greatest revivals that this country has ever seen. Because that's kind of been the history of the church. We need a revival. We really need as Christians to become united together for the cause of Christ. We need to put aside all those silly nitpicking divisions. And we need to be sold out 100% on the gospel of grace. And to share it and to show the world we love them. I, with this on my mind, I was searching on the internet trying to find a prayer for repentance for the church and found a fellow and I don't know anything about him except what I've read about him, Adam Narcisco, who ministry is to go to churches and try to help him get revived and get on fire again for the Lord. And he had this prayer and I want to pray this prayer with you and for you today. And so, would you bow with me, please, and turn your hearts to God? Lord, we know your heart is burdened for your church in this hour. We remind ourselves of your great and powerful vision for your church that we would attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and of the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, that we would be presented to you as a pure and spotless bride that we would declare your wonders to the next generation. Father, in this hour of crisis and shaking, we ask you to shake your church into your vision. Would you shake us into alignment with your heart and your purposes and all out of our powerless ways? Lord, would you come and deliver us from our powerless ways? We repent now of the sins that have kept us locked in a place of powerlessness. We repent of our failures to love one another. We turned against one another in petty criticism and theological division and the evils of jealousy. And as a result, we, well, we sound like Paul said, like an endless gong or a clanging cymbal to a generation who desperately needs to hear the pure word of heaven. We repent of our secrecy hiddenness and hypocrisy we have shaken our fist at the confusion and immorality of a generation and yet we ourselves are are full of secrecy and even pornography and addictions of many kinds our voices lack the authority that only comes through honest transparency and sincere love god have mercy We repent for politicizing our faith. We've been guilty of shouting more loudly our allegiance to a political party and personality than our allegiance to Christ and his gospel of grace. And as a result, we've set up hindrances to the gospel for our generation. God have mercy. We repent for reducing the prophetic to mere happy encouragement. We have diluted your prophetic grace in the church, and as a result, we have not manifested the true testimony of Jesus to our generation. God, have mercy. Father, we know that you have heard our prayer, that we are forgiven and that we are cleansed in Christ. We ask you, Lord, to deliver us from our powerless ways and heal our land. God, in the midst of these great shakings, would you extend your hand to draw this nation to yourself? Would you release an unprecedented historic revival for the sake of your name and your glory? In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. It is good to be able to share the word. It's not, I'm not used to doing it twice in the same day, so if my voice leaves, read my lips. <laughs> and if there's anybody here that reads lips, you can come up and do sign language. <laughs> but I'll try my best to get through it. We're going to be, oh, by the way, um, before I start today, um, last Sunday I knew there was this possibility I might have to preach because Aaron had come up to me and said, just in case, is how are you? Oh, they're my twins. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> excuse me, folks. <laughs> very special people here. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we were sitting as usual in Perkins, and we were after church, and there six, I don't know, six, eight of us. I can't remember how many. of quite a few. And I just mentioned, I said, uh, Aaron said, there might be a possibility I'm going to preach next Sunday. And Cameron said, what are you going to preach on? Well, I gave him two things that i had been thinking about he said preach the one in galatians 1 so the holy spirit worked through cameron to tell me what to preach <laughs> so now if you like it you can come up and say oh preach that was a good one if you don't like it it's his fault <laughs> cameron knows i love him <laughs> since we're going to be talking about angels Today, I thought I'd share with you some things that kids have said. Gregor, age five, said, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. (laughs) Olive, age nine, said, everybody's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forgot why, but scientists are working on it. Matthew, age nine, it's not easy to become an angel. First, you die. Then you go to heaven, and then there's still flight training to go through, and then you got to wear those angel clothes. <laughs> Mitchell, age seven. Angels work for God, and they watch over God, or I mean they watch over kids when God has something else to do. Matthew 8, he said that my guardian angel helps me with math, but he's not very good at science. <laughs> Jack said in age six, and I told him this morning, I think it was Jack back here probably said this, angels don't eat, but they drink milk from holy cows. (laughs) Daniel, age seven, angels talk all the way while they're flying up to heaven. The main subject is where you got wrong to be dead. (laughs) And then Reagan, age nine said, when an angel gets mad, He takes a deep breath and he counts to 10 and then he lets it out and somewhere a tornado takes place (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit this morning about angels and and what not to believe them And it's going to be based on Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 10 You can either follow me in the Bible or follow up on the screen He said and this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia He said I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you Let them be under God's curse as we have already said, so now I say again: If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings, or God, or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray, Father. We would pray that our hearts would be open. We're receptive for what you have to say to us today. I pray, Father, that I would speak only the words that you want spoken and not speak any words that you don't want spoken. And may all of our hearts be turned to you in this time, and may we be open for what you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several decades ago, and I think I remember first hearing this in a... um, elders and deacons meeting that i had in a church in nebraska that we served for 11 years after we left here and um, one of the deacons came up and he said this christianity is not a religion it's a relationship well now today we hear that a lot but that was the first i'd ever heard it and i believe it is absolutely true but i also believe from experience that most of us traditional christians do not understand what that means That's obvious when you see how divided Christianity has become. As in the Galatian heresy, spiritual elitism reigns in most churches. And to think that Jesus prayed his last prayer in John 17, that all of his believers, his followers, would be one. We seem to forget that Christianity is a grace-based relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a works-based religion in order to appease an angry God, nor is it a human contrived doctrine to appease a particular sectarian religious body. The truth that underlines this passage in Galatians 1 is that there is only one gospel, and it is grace-based from beginning to end. We are saved by grace, sanctified by grace, satisfied by grace, and sustained by grace. The Galatian church, as far as we know, is the first one that was in the process of turning from a grace-based relationship to a works-based religion. Now, when you stop and think this was over 2,000 years ago, you can kind of get an idea of why there's so many divisions today in Christianity. It started in the first century. And this letter is the only one, and this has always intrigued me. It is the only one that Paul ever wrote that didn't have a message of thanksgiving in it. Even in the Corinthian letters, a church that was suffering from horrendous moral issues. I mean, they had immorality in the church. It was so bad today, even we'd shake our head. It was It was terrible. But even that one, Paul had a message of thanksgiving for them. You notice what he said, 1 Corinthians 1, 6, and this is that church that was filled with all kinds of immorality and division and, and, and groups. He said, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Yet no such thanksgiving was given in this letter. That should speak to us how God views religion versus grace-given and grace-driven Christianity. I grew up in a history of religion. I rebelled from that religion because I realized it wasn't long that I couldn't keep up with all their do's and don'ts. And so I honestly said, with all honesty of my heart, I know how bad hell probably is, but I'd rather go there and go to heaven to these people. And I'm, I'm serious about that. But thank God, because of a wife and, a, and a, her dad, who was a preacher and understood grace, I realized that Christianity wasn't a religion. It was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that changed my life. You notice that um, growing up out of this truth that we see in Galatians are three statements that are very crucial for, for us to hear and believe today, because nothing has happened to change them between Paul's time and our time. The first is that it is absolutely astonishing when a person hears and believes the gospel of grace, but afterward turns away from it to a religion. The second is that if a person rejects the gospel of grace, he stands under God's curse, whether he is an angel or Paul included himself, even an apostle. And the third statement is that the servant of the gospel seeks to please God alone, not People. First of all, the underlying truth of this passage is there is only one gospel. In verse 6, Paul says that the Galatians are starting to turn away to a different gospel. Now, they had not completed it yet. They were beginning to turn away from it. And then in verse 7, he corrects a false impression. He did not mean to say that there are several gospels and they simply have to choose another of several options. He says carefully, anything else but the gospel of grace is really no gospel at all. The verse is very clear. There is no other gospel other than the good news of grace apart from works that he had preached to them and the gave grace in and, and which they received. And verses 6 and 7 clearly state that there are people presenting their ideas of gospel, but they are perversions. So the implication of this scripture for our day uh, are very important. Because the text is clearly saying that any radical departure from any teaching... And that says that we can get to heaven by works, obey or by obeying a human's application of Scripture, is that it's really no, no gospel at all. There is no biblical basis for a works-related road to heaven. The law taught that. They couldn't keep it. That is, there is no biblical teaching that a person can go on rejecting the gospel of grace and still be a Christian. There are other religions besides Christianity, and there are other leaders beside Jesus Christ. But there is no other good news of salvation except through Jesus Christ. And what makes that underlying truth in this text so powerful is that the different gospel in the churches of Galatia was not a religion from a foreign land. It was something that probably came in from people who were members of the church of jerusalem a lot of times that created a problem but instead this different gospel was not the order for example of buddhism or hinduism or islam it was an in-house distortion of the gospel and it was promoted by people who claimed to be christians doctrinal maturity contrary to what some people would want you to believe is not a digression back into a works-related religion. If a different gospel, which is no gospel but only a perversion, can spring up within the church itself, then surely we must make it our aim to become rigorous and discriminating in our doctrinal knowledge, especially the doctrine of God's grace. As I mentioned in the first service I don't want you to take my words wrong when I talk about the gospel of God's grace I'm not saying you can be a Christian and just keep living like the devil those that don't want to understand this scripture that's what they'll kind of tell you how do I know that because I've heard people say it before about me <laughs> that's just the way it is If if they don't like your message and they like their religion they don't like anybody that tells you Gospel is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. is not a religion. And so they'll try to poke holes in it. You notice that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in that letter in that church that had really fallen away morally. In 14 and verse 20, he said, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent of babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. You know, it's interesting because Galatians is the one of the best books in the Bible to help us refine and clarify what the heart of the gospel really is. And it's a gospel that cannot be replaced or altered. There's a pattern in churches. And like I said, it began clear back in the first century and in history. The church kind of has a tendency to tr- to fall away, but then by, th- by God's will and, 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 and the Holy Spirit renewal breaks forth on the church and, and if you read church history you would see how this goes it um, will be a fresh encounter of the gospel of grace and the Holy Spirit and hearts are filled with the love of Christ and mouths are filled with praise and the concern for making disciples and justice just rises to the top but in all of the glorious stirrings of the heart, there begins to be an intolerance with sound, grace-based Bible teaching. You see, sound biblical teaching requires thought, and please catch this, and this gets me in trouble more than anything else, and I don't really care. Uh, sound biblical teaching requires thought that is not controlled by tradition or a particular doctrinal persuasion. When our thought processes are controlled by a particular doctrinal belief, that's when we begin to see an emergence of people whose understanding of biblical teaching is so works-based that they are sitting ducks for the Galatian heresy. It rises right in their midst and right in our midst... Paul said to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20 and verse 30, also some from your own group will rise up and twist the truth and will lead away followers after them. He also said in verse 27 that he has done his part to prepare them. He said, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So the clear truth of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 is that there is no other gospel than a grace-based gospel. And the two implications we need to hear from that are that both universal and legalism is wrong. Universalism is that teaching that says there are a lot of different religions and they all lead to heaven. And the other one is legalism. It turns a personal relationship with Jesus Christ into a stringent Doctrinal approach. It says you've got to believe like we believe, or you're going to hell. Both of those are wrong. So, rigorous attention to biblical clarity and faithfulness is crucial in the long run of the church. However, there is a word of caution. As the Galatian church, we can turn Christianity into just another religion instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. When rules and regulations and judgmentalism and doctrinal dogma define a church, it becomes more of a religion than a relationship. Now, the first of three statements that grow out of this underlying truth, the first is to turn away, is astonishing. Verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you, to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In this verse, there are two reasons implied why turning to a different gospel is so absolutely astonishing. First, it's a turning from God. You notice he said, you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. They're not just turning from a doctrine or an idea. The gospel is the very personal good news of God's call to believers. And if we turn to a different gospel, we turn away from God, and Paul says, that's astonishing. And the second reason turning to a different gospel is astonishing is that it's turning away from grace, and we're saved by grace. In this same letter... And Paul was writing to this church that was in the process of turning. In Galatians 5, 4, Paul describes what is happening like this. He said, some of you are trying to be made right with God by obeying the law. You have been separated from Christ. You have fallen from God's grace. Now, it's interesting here that the Greek says literally, you are justifying yourselves by law. The isn't in there. Now, we know the context of this scripture. The primary thing you ever fallen back to was the law of God, the Old Testament law. But they made sure that Holy Spirit, when he had this written, that let us you know any works of humanity that takes you away from the grace of God, it's not right. You're falling away from grace. Part- the New Testament scholar, Warren Risby, says that Paul is writing to saints who have moved out of the sphere of grace into the burdensome sphere of law. And then he said this. He says, Watchman Nee says, law means, and I like this. I hope you remember this. Law means I must do something for God. Grace means that God does something for me. Isn't that cool? how wonderful it is for the christian to enjoy the liberty of grace paul is simply stunned that so soon after his beautiful portrayal of christ crucified for their sin they would begin to turn back to another gospel involving works he goes on to write in this same letter in galatians 3 and verse 1 he said you foolish people of galatia who has put you under an evil spell when I preach, I clearly showed that Jesus Christ had been nailed to the cross. Now you can just picture uh, Paul here. He's back in Antioch, and they're coming to him and they're saying, Hey, Paul, we need to tell you about what's happening in the church in Galatia. They're turning away from this personal relationship with Christ and great, by grace, and, and they're turning to back to law and regulations and rules. And you can just see him going, oh man. I can't believe they're doing that. He was astonished because they had been taken away from that old, all that religion and they'd been given freedom in Christ. And now here they were going back and he was just astonished. And you know what? It was astonishing then. And it is astonishing today that anyone hearing the best news in the entire world that God offers you full, free, and free forgiveness and hope would turn to a different gospel that says you have to earn it. Friends, that is not the gospel. The second statement that grows out of the underlying truth is that there is no other gospel, is that the rejection of that gospel of God leaves a person under God's curse. People don't want to hear this. <laughs> You know, we want to hear, you know, I hear this from people, you know, and I see it on Facebook, and I read it, and I sit back, and I just chuckle. Think, how, how many people have been in church all their life do not understand the gospel of grace? You know, I, you know, we need real preaching today. And you know what real preaching is to most of these fundamentalists today? It's preaching that gets up, and they holler, and they scream, and they expose all the sins in the world except theirs. But to me, real preaching will expose also the graceless teaching and what happens to proponents of works-related religion. And notice what Paul said. This is sobering. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached for you. I say again what we have said before. He's stressing it. If anyone preaches any good news other than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Now, the word that is repeated here is the word anathema. That's the word curse. Curse. And when you study that out in the New Testament, you will find that a person who is anathema or anathematized, he's cut off from Christ. We see that in Romans 9 and verse 3. And he's doomed to eternal punishment. Know what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He said, Those people will be punished with a destruction that continues forever. They will be kept away from the Lord and from his great power. You see, friends... I know it's not popular teaching. You don't like to hear this. But when a person rejects the gospel of grace, the free and gracious gift of God's forgiveness and kingship, then the terrifying prospect, because of its torment and unending length, should move us to not want to go that direction. The reason I say this curse falls on anyone who rejects the gospel, and not just the false teachers, is that... Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, when he said, If anyone does not love the Lord, let a curse be on that person. Come, Lord. You see, for Paul, the grace-based religion of Christ is the point at which the awesome life of God touches the life of this foul world of sin. And when that offer of eternal life is rejected or perverted to satisfy our pride or to gain a following, somewhere someone must cry out at the atrociousness of the crime. There are times when we need to meditate on the horror of rejecting a grace-based gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan does his best to create in us a mind that is so trivial and commonplace and petty and earthly that we find ourselves incapable of feeling, feeling what terrifying truth is in this word, anathema. Not long ago, I was sitting in our house and one of those storms came through here a couple of months ago, a month ago, I don't know how long it was, but of course being in the warmer weather, the sliding door was open and just the screen door was closed and We could hear it raining out there, and all of a sudden, one of the absolute loudest thunderclaps I have ever heard came in, and I came right out of my chair. You know, that's exactly the kind of fear we ought to understand when it comes to anathema, when it comes to being under the curse of God. Now, I was one to Christ not because of that. I was one because of grace and love, but... We also need to understand that there will be a curse on people who don't accept Christ. The wrath of God, I believe, part of it is to, is revealed to shake unbelievers out of their stupor and take the arrogance out of the Christian's walk and the smug twang out of his or her voice. And Don't skim over too quickly, verses 8 and 9. Mes- meditate on them this week. Finally, the third statement that grows out of the underlying truth of only one gospel is that the servant of the gospel seeks to please God alone, and he isn't trying to create a following. I've said this in every church I ever minister to in 50 plus years of ministry. Don't you ever follow me. Somewhere along the line, I'll surely lead you astray. And it's like Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. But if I'm not following Christ by living a life of grace and loving those people, don't follow me. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus Christ. Paul said in verse 10, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people would my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You know, in verses 8 and 9, Paul just said something that uh, I'm sure didn't win him many friends. And it probably didn't win me many friends. But it doesn't please most people, let's face it, for someone to pronounce a sentence of eternal damnation. And so what Paul does in verse 10 is to give an account of why he's willing to talk this way. He is willing to talk this way because pleasing people is much lower on his list of priorities than serving Christ. Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, and the call to preach came back to him almost immediately, and less than a year later, I was actually in my first church, going to Bible college, been out of high school seven years, had our first child. And my father-in-law told me something that was very important. I want you to get this. Now, I want you to listen careful to this. He said, Tom, if you want to get a following, I'm going to tell you how to do it. He said, just take the gospel and go to the extreme, either extreme liberal or extreme conservative. And he said, I guarantee you, you'll get a following. But he said, I want to tell you something else. If you do your best to try to stay in the center of God's word and God's will and preach us his grace, people from both sides aren't going to like you. And they won't follow you. Because people want a religion. And sadly to say, too many of our churches have turned it into a religion to get a following. When I stand before Jesus which probably won't be all that long when I'm 80 years old I don't know how much more time I got left but I want to tell you something I'm not going to stand before any one of you I'm not going to stand before any preacher I'm not going to stand before any theologian I'm not going to stand before anybody except Jesus Christ. And the only thing I want to hear out of his voice and out of his mouth is well done, good and faithful servant. Because it won't make any difference whether I was popular or not. Two things are at stake when the gospel of grace is perverted one, the glory of Christ is perverted. And two, The salvation of sinners. If the gospel is twisted, the all-sufficiency of Christ's work is dishonored and the way to salvation for sinners is blocked. Therefore, in order to serve Christ, to advance his glory and to achieve his saving purpose, Paul must oppose the perversion of the gospel of all of his might, whether it pleases people or not. For the glory of Christ, as he talked about in Galatians six fourteen, and for the good of those who may yet believe, in Galatians 2, 5, Paul is willing to speak an unpleasant truth. So the lesson we learn from verse 10 is not that the more people, and this is something we need to understand, it's not that the more people we displease, the more spiritual we are. You know people like that? I do. They think the more people he can tick off at work because of their stand for Jesus, the more holy they are. I want to tell you something, folks. If people don't like you, they're not going to like your Jesus. Did you catch that? If you don't live in such a way that people don't like you and don't respect you, they're not going to like or respect your Jesus. So get out of mind this thing of... of uh, uh, The more I displease people, the holier I am. It's not true. It's just the opposite. On the contrary... In 1 Corinthians ten thirty one to 32, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. And he's talking about believers and unbelievers because he says, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And in Romans 15, 2 and 3, he said, Let each of us please our neighbors for their good, to help them be stronger in faith. Even Christ did not live to please himself. It was as the scripture said, when people insult you, it hurts me. In other words, it is good to please people, providing that pleasing them is a means to their salvation and their spiritual growth and to God's glory. In Colossians 4, 6, we read, when you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant uh, so you will be able to answer everyone in the way you should. And then in Galatians here, and I like the way NIRV puts this, verse 10. Am I now trying to get people to think well of me? I can tell you right now, I'm not. (laughs) Or do I want God to think well of me? That's what I want. Am I trying to please people? And then I love this statement. If I were, I would not be serving Christ. You know, the most thrilling implication of verse 10 for me personally is this. The absolute lordship of Jesus Christ is gloriously liberating. If it frees me from having to worry about pleasing one person here and another person there, it brings unity and integrity to my life. When you live to only please one person, everything you do is included because it relates to that one person. What a freeing thing it is to know that there is one person who is to be pleased in every decision of life, Jesus. Sometimes pleasing him is going to please others. Sometimes it won't, and that might hurt for a while. But the deep joy of a single-minded life is worth it all. The underlying truth of this passage is that there is one and only one gospel. It is therefore astonishing that turning away from it, from God who calls and away from grace is astonishing. But on the other hand, if you embrace the true gospel of God's glorious grace, not only are all your sins forgiven by God, but a thrilling unity and integrity and liberty come into your life because there is only one person to please, and that's Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he only wills what is best for you. And for that, all of God's people should say, Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us if you want to become a Christian, you want to turn your life over to him, the the beginning point is this it says in Romans 10 say with your mouth, (laughs) Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. With your heart, you believe and are made right with God. With your mouth, you uh, you say what you believe, and so you are saved. Now, I know most of us here, maybe all I don't know are Christians. We've said that before. We've got that faith, and we've said Jesus is Lord. But what I'd like for us to do is everyone to say it with me, and then if there's anyone here who's sitting this for the first time, you see me afterwards, or you see Stephen or Dave or someone, so we can lead you further in your walk with Christ. After one, two, three, I want to say three words. Jesus is Lord. I want us to raise this roof. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. And all God's people said. Keep in mind this statement. I am not held to a standard of perfection. I am held by the arms of grace. Isn't that good? (laughs) I love that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if there's one person here that's never embraced Jesus, and if they said this with their heart, and they believe in their heart that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, I pray this will be a day when they'll... They'll come and see us so we can help them grow into a relationship with Christ, a grace-based personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we are not inviting anyone to a religion. We're not inviting anyone to our church. We're inviting them to Jesus so that they become a part of his church. And Father, we love you. We're so astonished that people would turn away from your grace. Help us not to do it. Help us to be diligent in taking our stand for the gospel of grace, even if it means losing friends. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done for us. The grace that you've extended to us. In your name we pray.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys, and have a great day.